0: This episode of the OrthoBullets podcast will go over the topic of low back pain from the spine section on orthobullets.com. Low back pain affects 50 to 80% of the population in their lifetime. There's $100 billion in annual cost. Low back pain is second only to respiratory infection as the most common cause to visit a doctor's office. The ideology of low back pain can include muscle strain, which is the most common cause of low back pain. The most common degenerative disorders as the etiology for low back pain include lumbar spinal stenosis, lumbar disc herniation, and or discogenic back pain. Risk factors for low back pain include obesity, smoking, gender, lifting, vibration, prolonged sitting, and or job dissatisfaction. Red flags include infection in the setting of an IV drug user or in a patient with a history of fevers and chills, tumor in a patient with a history of cancer, trauma in a patient with a history of a car accident or a fall, and cauda equina syndrome in the setting of a patient with bowel-slash-bladder changes. With respect to outcomes, 90% of low back pain resolves within one year. With respect to the presentation, patients may have symptoms of axial pain and or peripheral-slash-neurogenic pain. Axial pain can be broken down into musculogenic, discogenic pain, mechanical pain, and sacroiliac symptoms. Musculogenic pain is the most common cause of back pain and is associated with activity. It's also characterized by stiffness and difficulty bending. Discogenic back pain is controversial and may be confirmed by a discogram. Mechanical pain can be caused by facet degeneration as well as micro and macro instability. Mechanical pain is worse with activity such as lifting objects and prolonged standing. Sacroiliac symptoms is pain originating from the sacroiliac joint. Peripheral-slash-neurogenic symptoms can be broken down into radicular pain, referred pain, neurogenic claudication, myelopathy, conus medullaris syndrome, cauda equina syndrome, and spinal cord injury. Radicular pain is usually unilateral leg pain and usually is dermatomal. Referred pain is typically found in the buttocks, posterior thighs, and or the inguinal region, think L5-S1. Neurogenic claudication is pain in the buttock and legs that is worse with prolonged standing and is fairly specific for spinal stenosis. Myelopathy is characterized as clumsiness in the hands, gait instability, and is due to injury of the spinal cord at approximately L1 or above. equina syndrome manifests as bilateral leg pain, lower extremity weakness, saddle anesthesia, and bowel-bladder symptoms. Spinal cord injury can be incomplete or complete. Now, let's quickly talk about something called Waddell signs, which is a system to evaluate non-organic back pain symptoms and is clinically significant if three positive signs are present. And these signs include superficial and non-anatomic tenderness, pain with axial compression or simulated rotation of the spine, a negative straight leg raise with patient distraction, regional disturbances which do not follow a dermatomal pattern, and overreaction to physical examination. With respect to imaging, Indications for radiographs include pain lasting greater than one month and not responding to non-operative management, and or if there are red flags present. An MRI is highly sensitive and specific. However, there is a high rate of abnormal findings on MRI in normal people. However, keep in mind that there is a high rate of abnormal findings on MRI in normal people. Positive MRI findings in asymptomatic patients can be broken down by age group. In the 20-39 to demographic, the percentage of herniated nucleus pulposis is 21%. The percentage that have disc bulges are 56%, and the percent that have degeneration is 34%. In the 40 to 59 age group, the percentage of patients that have a herniated nucleus pulposis is 22%. The percentage that have disc bulges are 50%, and the percentage that have degeneration is 59%. In the 60 to 79 age group. The percentage of patients that have a herniated nucleus pulposis is 36%, the percentage that have a disc bulge is 79%, and the percentage that have degeneration is 93%. The differential for back pain includes neck and arm pain, thoracic back and rib pain, low back pain, sacroiliac pain, and sacral pain. Neck and arm pain can be secondary to trauma, cervical spondylosis, metastatic disease slash infection, cervical radiculopathy, cervical myelopathy, or ankylosing spondylitis. Thoracic back and rib pain can be secondary to trauma, metastatic disease slash infection, thoracic disc herniation, or osteoporotic compression fractures. Low back pain can be secondary to muscle strain, disc herniation slash discogenic pain, degenerative spondylolisthesis, spinal stenosis, lumbar radiculopathy, and abdominal aortic aneurysm. Sacroiliac pain can be secondary to SI infection or ankylosing spondylitis. Sacral pain can be secondary to coccydynia or sacral insufficiency fractures. The treatment of low back pain is dictated by the cause of the pain. Okay, so now that we've gone over the major points about this topic, let's go over a few questions to apply the information and get a sense of how this topic has been tested on past exams. The first question reads, A 73 year old female presents for evaluation of midline thoracolumbar back pain, which she states began approximately four weeks ago. She is unsure of what precipitated this pain, but believes it may have started when lifting a chair at home. The pain is severe, and she has difficulty standing for long periods of time, and her walking is limited to short distances around the house. A plain lateral lumbar radiograph shows an anterior compression fracture of the L1 vertebra. Which study would best characterize the acuity of this finding? and the choices are one, computed tomography scan of the lumbar spine, two, CT myelogram of the lumbar spine, three, MRI of the lumbar spine, four, flexion and extension plane radiographs of the lumbar spine, and five, indium labeled white blood cell scan. The correct answer to this question is three, magnetic resonance imaging of the lumbar spine. So this patient has a compression fracture of the first lumbar vertebra. MRI scanning will best characterize the age of this fracture. Although CT may be useful for detection of fractures not readily visible on plane radiography, MRI provides more information when the fracture is readily diagnosed on plane films. The amount of bone edema on MRI inversely correlates with the age of the fracture. MRI can also diagnose pathological lesions that may have caused the fracture and can evaluate the neurologic elements and degree of spinal stenosis. Esses et al. authored a clinical practice guideline on the treatment of symptomatic osteoporotic spinal compression fractures. The only strong recommendation was against the use of vertebroplasty for treatment of these fractures. There was a moderate recommendation in favor of calcitonin for four weeks following diagnosis. Moving on to the next question. Back injuries occur in approximately 2% of the workforce every year, resulting in workers' compensation costs of more than $20 billion. What percentage of workers with symptoms severe enough to require work absence return to work within 12 weeks? And the choices are 1 80 to 90%, 2 70 to 80%, 3 60 to 70%, 4 50 to 60%, and 5 40 to 50%. The correct answer to this question is 1 80 to 90%. So in adults, 70% to 85% will experience an episode of low back pain at some period during their life. Most recover quickly and without residual functional deficits. Of those patients with symptoms severe enough to require absence from work, 60% to 70% return within 6 weeks, and 80% to 90% return within 12 weeks. After 12 weeks of symptoms, return to work is much slower. Moving on to the next question, a 41-year-old male presents with acute onset of low back pain that started when he was trying to lift a heavy box while helping his brother move apartments two days ago. The pain has been severe enough to cause him to miss work yesterday. He has no neurologic deficits. What are the chances he will return to work within six weeks? And the choices are 1, to 80-90%, 2, 70-80%, 3, 60-70%, 4, 50-60%, and 5, 40-50%. The correct answer to this question is three, 60 to 70%. So most adults, that is up to 80%, will experience an episode of low back pain in their lifetime. In those whose pain is severe enough to cause them to miss work, 60 to 70% will return by six weeks and 80 to 90% will return by 12 weeks. To quickly review, low back pain is common in adults. Most patients experience resolution of symptoms quickly and have no lasting loss of function. However, five to 10% develop chronic pain. Recurrence of pain is common and is part of the natural history, occurring in 20-72% to of patients. After 12 weeks, return to work rates are slow. Shen et al. reviewed the non-operative management of acute and chronic low back pain. The authors note that none of the available interventions has been proven by high-quality, large, randomized, controlled trials. The authors believe that low-dose oral steroids are safe in the short term and that injection therapy should not be used without a reasonable, presumptive diagnosis. Madigan et al. reviewed the management of lumbar degenerative disease. The authors emphasize that the majority of patients improve within six weeks with or without treatment. For patients that do not, the authors do not recommend epidural injection as there are no good studies to support their use in the treatment of discogenic back pain. When surgical treatment is indicated, they state that arthrodesis is the gold standard, although the long-term results of total disc arthroplasty are being elucidated. Moving on to the next question, A 35-year-old female presents for evaluation of new-onset lumbar spine pain. Which of the following physical exam findings is indicative of an organic cause of low back pain symptoms? And the choices are 1. Positive straight leg raise with patient distraction, 2. Pain with axial loading of the spine, 3. Diffuse tenderness with palpation of the paraspinal lumbar musculature, 4. Lower extremity numbness in a non-dermatomal pattern, and 5. Pain with simulated rotation of the lumbar spine. So the correct answer to this question is one, positive straight leg raise with patient distraction. So non-organic signs of low back pain, otherwise known as the Waddell signs, include superficial and non-anatomic tenderness, pain with axial compression or simulated rotation of the lumbar spine, negative straight leg raise with patient distraction, regional disturbances which do not follow a logical dermatomal pattern, and overreaction to physical examination. Waddell et al. described and standardized these non-organic signs of low back pain in 350 North American and British patients. They divided them into five categories, tenderness tests, simulation tests, distraction tests, regional disturbances, and overreaction, and found that when three or more categories were positive, the finding was considered clinically significant. This was also correlated with high scores for depression, hysteria, and hypochondriasis on the Minnesota Multiphasic Personality Inventory, or MMPI. Moving on to the next question, a 29-year-old male reports a two-day history of atraumatic low back pain. He denies constitutional symptoms. He denies any bowel or bladder difficulties, and physical examination reveals full motor strength and sensation. No pathologic reflexes are detected all of the following are appropriate at the initial visit except, and the choices are 1, limited oral analgesia, 2, radiographs of the lumbar spine, 3, schedule outpatient follow-up visit within 4 weeks, 4, early range of motion exercises, and 5, reassurance. The correct answer to this question is 2, radiographs of the lumbar spine. So a previous healthy patient with an acute onset of non-traumatic lower back pain does not need diagnostic imaging before proceeding with therapeutic treatment. This patient has no red flags during the history, that is recent trauma or constitutional symptoms, and physical examination was normal without focal neurologic deficits. The appropriate treatment for acute onset lower back pain is solely symptomatic treatment. Diagnostic imaging is not necessary unless the initial treatment is unsuccessful and symptoms are prolonged. Miller et al. found the use of radiographs can lead to better patient satisfaction but not better outcomes. Chow et al. performed a meta-analysis that also concluded that lumbar imaging without indication of serious underlying conditions does not improve clinical outcomes. Moving on to the next question, a 22-year-old woman reports a four-year history of worsening low back and left lower extremity pain following a motor vehicle accident. Management consisting of physical therapy, chiropractic manipulation, and interventional pain management including sacroiliac joint injections and epidural steroid injections has failed to provide relief. A sagittal T2-weighted MRI scan reveals a rudimentary disc at the L5-S1 level suggesting transitional anatomy. There is a posterior disc bulge at L3-L4. At L4-L5, there is disc desiccation and loss of disc height with a posterior disc bulge and a high-intensity zone in the posterior annulus, suggesting an annular tear. No nerve root compression is seen on axial images. She is currently working and lives with her fiancé. She smokes half a pack of cigarettes per day and reports depression on her health history. She is being maintained on narcotic analgesics and is having increasing difficulty performing her activities of daily living secondary to pain what is the most appropriate management at this time? And the choices are 1, provocative lumbar discography, 2, laboratory studies including a complete blood cell count, erythrocyte sedimentation rate, and urinalysis, 3, cognitive intervention, exercise, and smoking cessation, 4, bilateral lower extremity electromyography and nerve conduction velocity studies, and 5, lumbar myelogram with a post-myelography CT scan of the lumbar spine. The correct answer to this question is 3, cognitive intervention, exercise, and smoking cessation. So again, the MRI scan reveals a rudimentary disc at the L5-S1 level, suggesting transitional anatomy. There is a posterior disc bulge at L3-L4, and at L4-L5, there is a disc desiccation and loss of disc height with a posterior disc bulge and a high-intensity zone in the posterior annulus, suggesting an annular tear. While these and similar radiographic findings have been associated with the severity of the patient's pain, they are also commonly found in cross-sectional studies of asymptomatic subjects. Carragee and associates found 59% of symptomatic patients undergoing discography have high-intensity zones as compared to 25% of asymptomatic subjects of a similar patient profile. Discographic injections provoked pain in discs with high-intensity zones approximately 70% of the time, whether the individual was previously symptomatic or not. This patient's nonspecific pain pattern does not require further workup as she is not a surgical candidate. Moving on to the next question. A previously healthy 29-year-old man reports a two-day history of severe atraumatic lower back pain. He denies any bowel or bladder difficulties and no constitutional signs. Examination is consistent with mechanical back pain. No focal neurologic deficits or pathologic reflexes are noted. What is the most appropriate management? and the choices are 1, radiographs including anterior, lateral, and oblique views, 2, MRI of the lumbar spine and follow-up at the clinic in one week, 3, caudal epidural steroid injection, 4, reassurance, limited analgesics, and early range of motion as tolerated, and 5, immediate MRI of the lumbar spine and possible urgent surgical decompression. The correct answer to this question is 4, reassurance, limited analgesics, and early range of motion as tolerated. So in general, a previously healthy patient with an acute onset of non-traumatic lower back pain does not need diagnostic imaging before proceeding with therapeutic treatment. In the absence of any red flags during the history and physical examination, such as trauma or constitutional symptoms like fevers, chills, or weight loss, the appropriate treatment for acute onset lower back pain is purely symptomatic treatment, including limited analgesics and early range of motion. Diagnostic imaging is not necessary unless the initial treatment is unsuccessful and symptoms are prolonged. Miller and associates suggested that the use of radiographs can lead to better patient satisfaction, but not necessarily better outcomes. And moving on to the final question, a 32-year-old manual laborer has work-related chronic musculoskeletal back pain for several years. Which of the following is the strongest negative predictor for a successful clinical outcome with non-operative treatment? And the choices are one, race, 2. Smoking status, 3. High visual analog scale or VAS scores prior to treatment, 4. Type of occupation, and 5. Gender. The correct answer to this question is 3. High visual analog scale or VAS scores prior to treatment. So in patients with chronic disabling work-related musculoskeletal disorders, high pre-rehabilitation ratings of pain intensity as measured by the high visual analog scale or VAS scores is a negative predictor for a successful outcome. McGeary et al. evaluated the ability of pain intensity ratings in 3,106 patients with chronic disabling occupational musculoskeletal disorders to predict the rehabilitation outcomes and identify patients at risk for poor outcomes. High pain intensity prior to rehabilitation was linearly associated with declining rates of program completion and higher rates of self-reported depression and disability after rehabilitation. The authors did not find any correlation between poor clinical outcomes and race, smoking, gender, or type of occupation. Proctor et al., found that about 25% of patients with a chronic disabling work-related musculoskeletal disorder pursue new healthcare services after completing a course of treatment and this subgroup accounts for a significant proportion of lost worker productivity, unremitting disability payments and excess healthcare consumption. That's all for this review about low back pain. Hopefully that was helpful. This is the OrthoBullets podcast, a daily audio review session by OrthoBullets the free learning and collaboration community for orthopedic surgery education. If you're enjoying the podcast so far, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Thanks so much, and we'll see you all tomorrow.